Looking tough and strong is one way to be a man, but why should we be confined to that? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. In the just past election, two versions of manhood were on the ballot. One a very traditional model, the other an emerging one. We have arrived at a point of asking, what is masculinity? Up until quite recently in terms of history, the question itself seemed silly. Everyone could easily answer, strong, tough, powerful, manliness exemplified by the military. No one would dare question the masculinity of a man in uniform, showing toughness. To be a man, you must always be on guard, to never look weak. In the past couple of years, this version has felt uniquely threatened by certain people and political groups. When one feels backed against a corner, the impulse is to strike out at that threat. This was explosively evident at the deadly Charlottesville Unite the Right rally in which violence-loving white supremacist gangs took over the streets. More recently, the Proud Boys put themselves front and center on the January 6th deadly capital assault on our democracy. What are they all about? Rage and anger are usually, if not always, a reaction to feeling afraid or threatened. Leading up to the recent election, it was not uncommon to see groups of young white men in their ram-tough pickups festooned with big banners with a photo of their idol, the toughest tough guy, Donald Trump, his face photoshopped onto a Rambo body, often with an assault weapon blazing. The intention, it seems, was to display power and threaten and intimidate people who might vote against Trump. No question, the intensely insistent energy from these proud boys was about chest-pounding masculinity. And it was on display, leading and defining the interaction of January 6th. Is this some kind of hyper-masculinity? Are they real men and the rest of us wimps? Is there some deep fear of something inside them? Could it be that Trump, a Trump-led, encouraged, and exemplified, outdated, confined masculinity created the violent January 6th attack on the Capitol and continues to threaten our democracy. And where does President Biden fit into this picture? Does he really display a new kind of masculinity freed from the old, uh, rigid, old constraints? Our guest today on Keeping Democracy Alive is Ed Fraunheim, co-author of a new book, Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. Ed Fraunheim, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thanks for having me, Bert. Excited to be here. Ed Fraunheim has written about organizations, leadership, and society for more than two decades. He's co-written three other books, including A Great Place to Work for All, Better for Business, Better for People, Better for the World. He's a former senior director of content at Research and advisory firm, Great Place to Work. He also co-founded the Teal Team, which helps organizations evolve into more democratic, purpose-driven, soulful places. Just the kind of places the Trump team would not like to work, I suspect. Well, again, thanks for being with us. How did you and your co-author, Edward Adams, come to write this book at this time? And who was the target audience? Uh Bert, we came to, to write about this topic, uh, I think in part because of the themes that you were identifying at the beginning of the show, uh, that there's a lot of gender confusion, as we would put it, 
out there in, in the world right now uh, and uh, a real debate about what men can be uh, in the world at this moment. Um, I came to this book from the perspective of writing about workplace and culture and business, as you put it. I've been studying uh, how the best workplaces uh, operate, what their leaders are like, uh, how they're changing the definition of leadership. Uh, these are companies that make the Fortune 100 Best Companies to Work For list, which is a list that's produced by a great place to work. Uh, and, and I was seeing a different kind of masculinity required at work, uh, one that was more about persuasion, about collaboration, about uh, emotional intelligence uh, than the old school, as you put it, the confined masculinity, which we're supposed to be stoic and, yeah. and only strong and dominant. My co-author was coming from a psychological perspective. He's a counselor, or a therapist, counselor, and a former president of the um, division of the American Psychological Association oh, wow. focused on treating men and, men and boys. And they rolled out a new set of guidelines uh, that looked at what would be a healthier version of masculinity. You may remember a couple of years ago that was a flashpoint of controversy uh, because it, it said that it, this older school, uh, rigid adherence to those older beliefs around being tough and uh, self, self-sufficient to the point of isolation, mm. uh, about not being expressive, those things tend to have bad health outcomes. Um, so that that led to you know a lot of uh, cultural conversation but uh, the, the two of us, Ed, and the two Eds together, we hope that two Eds are better than one, came together yeah. to say there is something coming together both in the in the cultural realm, psychological realm, as well as the workplace realm that's really a new masculinity that's emerging and that is really required for the 21st century. So who's the target audience for this? Men, women, everybody? We are, we are especially hoping that men will read this, Bert, and especially men that have some curiosity about how they're being uh, asked to show up in their lives today. Uh, and whether they're feeling like life is as as full, as, as happy mm. uh, as they would like it to be. Uh, we think that they're, um, you know, we think that the, the confined kind of masculinity really uh-huh. does cage men. You know, it also cages women even more so, more so than men when, when men kind of uh, dominate others in their lives, especially the other sex. But uh, for a lot of men, and I think you mentioned this in, in an earlier conversation uh, when you talked about the policing issue of masculinity, a lot of men don't, you know, get to be that alpha role, uh, and a lot of men, even in that alpha role, aren't necessarily happy about having to always fight and and, and preserve their dominance. It's so really, there's a way in which uh, a lot of men, we hope, are are being open to to reflecting on on their masculinity. You know, as we as we pointed out at the beginning of the show, it a lot of men are also going backwards. You know, choosing to retrench as opposed to explore. But there's a lot of folks exploring too. Interesting. Yeah, those are certainly two different directions that uh, people can go in, stimulus and response. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Central to the work of both Eds is Mm -hmm. the concept, as you mentioned a couple times, confined masculinity. I doubt many listeners are familiar with the idea. Frankly, I hadn't heard of it either. Please take a few minutes to tell us what is meant by confined masculinity and, and what experiences led you to this term, confined masculinity? Thanks. Yeah, uh, we are excited to kind of really try to introduce this term into the the lexicon, Bert. Um, it's a way to try to describe the the typical male ethos, the conventional male ethos that's really gov- governed us in America and much of the world for the last several thousand years, really. Um, and it, we tried to come up with a term that was pretty descriptive and neutral because a lot of to- a lot of folks are using the term toxic masculinity to describe a very poisonous, unhealthy way of being a man. Uh, we were trying to have a term that was more uh, <clears throat> simply showing what 
went on <clears throat> that kept men from expressing more roles in their lives and relating to others in, in fuller ways. So what we what we landed on was a term borrowing from a, a psychologist named uh, uh, Marita. There's a Marita therapy that talked about the confined self as being one that was very self-absorbed, that's unable to make connections with others, and that tends to have unhealthy outcomes. And what we've identified is that men have had very limited numbers of, of roles to play, like the protector, provider, conqueror, and they've been able to relate to others in very limited ways, mostly mm -hmm. about competing, mostly about being um, stoic and, and about being uh, isolated or, or really about, you know, the self-made men, not seeing the connections with others or, or nurturing those connections. And that really has led to a lot of problems, we, we believe, oh, in society, especially as in the world that's taking shape today. I'm reminded of a Monty Python skit in which uh, guys are dueling and one guy gets his one arm cut off, just a scratch, right. and then another right. arm, just a, just just a, a scratch, just a scratch, a flesh wound. <laughs> Same right. kind of thing, you know, and to ignore that, not real bright, not real productive. Now, many of us have heard of toxic masculinity. Is that the same thing? I would say it is a way of describing the behaviors that are very poisonous and unhealthy uh, that come out of those confined beliefs we have. So in other words, when you, uh, if a man is going to be uh, physically abusive yeah. to, to family members or to, to other men, um, that's a, an example of toxic behavior. If, if, if a man is going to refuse to see the, the truth of an election, as Donald Trump did, that's, that's a toxic behavior to our whole democracy, as we've seen. Um, uh, if a man is going to be at work and, and only focus on uh, his own <clears throat> progress and not recognize, uh, the, have the awareness to see that men have had advantages in society, not be able to see that, uh, especially white men, we need to acknowledge that to be truly fair, you know, fair-minded, we need to help create a more uh, uh, supportive place and a place where all people can succeed. And so that success is really an inclusive success, not an exclusive success as it's been in the past. Those are toxic behaviors, or maybe you could call it toxic masculinity. But we think that they largely derive from or come out of very limited views that we have caged ourselves in as men. And who wants to live in a cage? I'll tell you, I've, you know, right. I, I hate to see animals in cages. Now, one of the themes, and there was an article that I believe you wrote about manhood on the ballot. Uh, mm -hmm. You say that, uh, well, one of the themes of the Trump male is the approach to the earth. Historical figures, real men like Teddy Roosevelt, celebrated man conquering nature. And that mm -hmm. goes on. The Trumpists scoff at the notion of climate change. Uh, they, you know, it's it's wimpy. It's whatever. You know, it's not a real man. Climate change uh, and wearing masks too against COVID nineteen. What is the relation of confined masculinity to their view of of the environment and and how it should be approached? Mm -hmm. I think you hit on it with that term, uh, conqueror, Bert. Uh, when one sees oneself as in constant battle with other men, with other people, with the environment, there is, you're, you're set yourself up to, to a very limited way of, of, of recognizing reality and really not seeing reality, which is to say that the climate is changing, that, that there is, there's catastrophes unfolding around us, even with these current winter storms we're, we're facing extreme weather events. Uh, it, it's a, a function we think of, of almost a crouch, 
that the confined masculine approach is your your if you imagine a guy that's in, hunkering in a hole with a shield and a, maybe a sword in his hand, you really can't see the whole truth. When we talk about the alternative or this 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 alt- other side of the continuum, a liberating masculinity, mm. you're able to stand up and open your arms wide and take it all in. Understand really that we are connected to each other. We are all born uh, of human beings and and are taken care of by mothers or increasingly fathers. When we deny that we have connections to other people and to this planet that sustains us, uh, we are really not seeing the reality. So that real man thing is often, you know, kind of a pair. It's an ironic comment because we're real men are often quote 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 unquote real men are missing reality. Missing reality. Yes. Real man missing reality. Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive. Our guest is Ed Fraunheim, and uh, he is co-author of a new book, Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. You say that uh, Trump is the bad dad, that Biden, quote, Biden, on the other hand, generally lives out a liberating masculinity, end of quote. In what ways about Biden being a liberated masculine type person, in what ways and what are some examples you see? from Biden. Yes. We think that he's a pretty good embodiment of this alternative emerging masculinity. And and you see it in a couple of ways. And you, you mentioned our subtitle is about compassion and connection and how those really are freeing and they're powerful. Uh, and what Joe Biden demonstrates is, is in one hand, the power of empathy, of compassion. Uh, yes. He's gone through a lot of trouble in his yes. life and suffering. And he's rather than kind of suppress that, deny it, uh, he has embraced it and 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 ex- and experienced those feelings and shared them with others, which allows him to be very compelling to to those who have like all human beings suffer on some level. So I think a lot of people are drawn to his stories of making it through his own stuttering problem, of having um, his family members die yeah. at a young age, yes. Bo die of cancer, mm. uh, and then if you know going along with the compassion is the connection piece. Uh, he, he is very much about bonds, not only with his family and, and those on the other side of the aisle, historically, uh, the Republicans, but then the world. Right. And so he's immediately going to have us. We have to solve this cli- climate problem together. It's one planet, you know, spaceship Earth, as Buckminster Fuller put it. Yes. So he's immediately reached out to say, we've got to work together and through this Paris Accord uh, system. So I think those are two ways you see that happening uh, where he's he's brought to power with a masculinity that is really attuned to this century a one that and and a final piece is that he's able to see because of these this awareness of connection and connectivity his privilege you know and to acknowledge mm. that the white guys have there's been white supremacy he acknowledged it in in, in uh, his inauguration speech maybe the first time ever oh, i believe yes. oh, and he's realized the need to bring in a lot of women into positions of power because historically they haven't had those positions um so i think he he embodies that in in a number of those different ways and i think he's you know, I'm I'm very hopeful that he's a really a a, a, a vanguard for a role mm. model that can help a lot of others move away from that that confined masculinity toward a more liberating one. And I'll tell you, as a recovering politician myself, it's it's rare mm-hmm. that a politician will admit mistakes. You would never see mm. Trump make you know admit mistakes. Oh, he never makes mistakes, but he Biden admitted. He made a mistake with yeah. the 1994, uh, uh, you know, crime bill that uh, it was a bad bill, and and he admits he made a mistake. Now, what that to me shows real strength. You know, if you can't admit mistakes, I agree. Phew, what the heck? And as as you say, yeah. 
confined masculinity is a poor fit for the 21st century. And I guess that's both in business and political terms. Say more about that, please. Yeah. And I think you just raised a great point to, to show why, Bert, uh, this question of vulnerability, willingness to admit mistakes is vital yeah. in the business world now. Because we're in a state of such uh, rapid change. We, we call it the faster, flatter, fairness-focused work world. Uh, because things are moving faster with digital disruption and new software apps can pop up anywhere around the world. Things are flatter. Those hierarchies that we used to have are not fast enough to respond to, to new changes. You need to have all the people in your organization sensing and responding to, to new opportunities and new challenges in real time. And at the fairness focus piece is you have to recognize that there have been folks who have not been uh, given a fair shake. Yes. Especially women and, and people of color yes. uh, and uh, introverts. It's not just about a men and women issue. There's a lot of kind of varieties of this. But if men are coming from this place of I can only uh, be strong and can't admit I made a mistake, mm. they're not going to learn fast enough, which is what you need to do. The, those who learn fastest win. As uh, a fellow I, I've, I've been connecting with lately, uh, Jeff Hunter of Talentism, he's a consultant and puts it that way. And I think that's really true. If you don't and you cannot learn fast if you're not willing to admit that you didn't have it, all the answers right in the first place. Boy, that makes so much sense. It's, I, I used to say when I was working at the, uh, the State House in the State Senate, oh, if it makes good common sense, it'll never happen in Concord. But, <laughs> <laughs> so um, Newton's third law is for every action, of course, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Do you think the Me Too movement sparked a powerful reaction against it in these Trumpist men? I think that's part of the 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 problem the the issue, um, Bert. Um, I think it, it goes beyond that as well. Uh, and I've heard you talk on your show with a guest before about the you know decades worth of change of around economic disruption and dislocation, where uh, especially working class men have have lost their sense of status, their sense of power yes. over their lives. Yes. They've lost their jobs. They don't they don't feel like uh, that that old equation of I give you my loyalty and you give me economic security so I can be a breadwinner in that provider role. That's all been kind of, you know, the rug has been pulled out underneath them. Yeah. I, I think the Me Too movement may have put a, a punctuation mark uh, on, on those trends such that these that a lot of men have felt like this is going too far. And not only am I. Uh, feeling like I, I'm, I don't understand how this new economy is working, and I'm being, I'm not winning in it. Uh, but I'm, now I'm being told I'm the bad guy, uh, and I think that there's a lot of, of work to be done by, um, you know, our, our leaders to acknowledge, you know, what kind of helps spawn this uh, Trumpist populism that is uh, has a lot of economic roots to it, I believe, and and it's in our workplace leaders too, where where our our companies have been very alienating and very uh, infantilizing mm. uh, of, of most people at work where they don't, they don't have much power over what they do. We know that that makes a huge difference in your happiness if you have autonomy in your life. And so I think the best workplaces are, are, are moving in that direction. But I think the Me Too movement is a, is a, is a uh, as I said, like kind of a, a, a coda or another, yet another straw that may have broken the camel's back of a lot of uh, disrespect shown to a lot of Americans, and especially American men. Yes, certainly. And then there's, I mean, there's the whole thing about Trump. I, I actually thought his campaign was kaput when he boasted about grabbing, you know, private women's parts. 
Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that the Proud Boys and others probably love that kind of thing. Uh, Trump reserves the word nasty for strong women. He never says that about men, just about women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, what about that and, and bullying? You know, bullying seems to be, used to be sort of expected of men, I guess. You know, boys being boys. What about yeah. the, the role of bullying in this confined masculinity? Well, I think that uh, you're right, that that is uh, a kind of a, that's an attractive quality to Trump, of Trump to a lot of men who maybe have been in this state of uh, shock and, and have been uh, frustrated with these changes in America. And there's research that shows that when men have their masculinity challenged, that they overcompensate. Yeah. So in some ways, I think that the, the Trump phenomenon and his, his attractiveness to men is in some ways a reflection of uh, you're going to say that I'm not powerful anymore. I'm not going to be a provider. I can't be right. that um, manly man, the, uh, the strong guy that I was, and that's not going to be respected, uh, especially, you know, especially at work. Well, I'm going to double down on this, this sort of a caricature of, of masculinity where I'm going to like boast of sexual assault and boast of, 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 you know, smacking guys upside the head, you know, as Trump would do at his rally, like get rough them up for me and I'll pay the legal bills as yeah. you put it. Um, but I'm hopeful despite all this, uh, Bert, because yeah. younger generations are, are seeing and learning and embracing a different way. Yes. Uh, you know, you see men of different ages in the, in the proud boys, et cetera. But I know from my own son's example and, and, and the growth of, uh, what's called socio emotional learning in school mm. that people are being taught, you know, both, you know, might makes right no longer works right. in, in our school. And we're not going to accept bullying and you've got to, and we're going to help you develop skills for working challenges out. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just not that appealing to these younger guys, as far as I can tell, uh, from my son and his friends, mm -hmm. even the, even the question of comp competition itself, I think is being challenged. You know, when we grew up, well, I'm yeah. assuming you're a little bit in, in age like me, I'm 53, but, but that was all older. you could do. Yeah. yeah. You're a little older. Okay. <laughs> it was all about sports that were competitive oh. and organized and there, there were the fights now people are turning going from the ball sports which are competitive to the board sports which are not which are about expressivity which are about community which are about uh progress not necessarily uh a win you know so i think that there's there are a lot of sea changes going on in the culture that you don't see in you know in the electorate um but even there you saw that you know 53% of, of men voted for Trump, but that means, you know, a heck of a lot of men voted for Biden. That's true. Uh, and, and I think we're heading in a better direction over time. Boy, I think so. And one of the factors that this seems to affect men who are feeling lack of power is the attraction of gangs. Now, that's happened, you know, with, mm -hmm. with poor people, inner cities, joining a gang. You get some protection there. And the, the the Trump parades with those the, the men and a whole bunch of pickup trucks trying to intimidate yeah. people with all their flags and everything. It's gangs. Men, you know, unlike women, I think, generally, and there's always exceptions to rules, but don't seem to have the same kind of friends available. And, and, and gangs can be attractive. And there's got to be other ways of men connecting so that they don't feel confined mm -hmm. they don't feel in a cage I, I i wonder how that can be done what uh platforms if you will there might be to be able to connect in a healthier way 
It's a great question, Bert. And I see the stirrings of what my uh, co-author Ed and I call a masculine spring, where there huh. are organizations that have been gathering men or giving space for men to gather in these more supportive ways to uh, not just show up with your mask on as a man, as the tough guy, and uh, only be able to talk about limited topics, say uh, sports. And car, yeah, cars maybe or fishing, and and those aren't necessarily bad. But th- right. this is the our whole point about the the confined to liberating shift is is that you are freed up to do more. So yes, talk about sports. Let's talk about fishing. Sure. But also, can you talk about that scary territory of your feelings? You know, can we can we be courageous enough to go into you know our psyches and our souls and and talk about what we really long for, what we've really been you know suffering from. Um, but there are men's groups doing this. And my co-author has, has seen it happen for 30 years. He started a, a group called Men Mentoring Men. Uh-huh. And I have seen the results of this. There's 100 active men in it now in New Jersey mostly. These guys, you would not believe the conversations they have, Bert. I mean, they're talking about, you know, feeling loved by each other in this kind of brotherly love kind of way. They're not, they're not afraid of the, what used to be that, that sting of homophobia that would prevent men from articulating, you know, I love you, man. Uh, and, and we've seen that also in the popular culture What people like Tom Brady, Tom Brady, yeah. uh, after his Super Bowl win, uh, I don't know what he did at this time, but the last time he won, he was just going around telling everybody, I love you, man, including members of the other team. Uh, right, so he's, there is a, and you see that same shift toward a more uh, compassionate and, and, and expressive masculinity taking shape Um you know, even in like I know this, the Golden State Warriors and my hometown basketball team here in the, the San Francisco Bay Area and and Steve Kerr, the coach, is, is his philosophy was four things that you wouldn't have heard of 20 years ago. It's comp- competition is one value, but then compassion, mindfulness and joy wow. are the other ones. Wow. And he won three championships with that philosophy and, 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 a, and a star player, Steph Curry, who's about dancing on on the court, not about scowling like Michael Jordan of a generation earlier. Huh. So. There is, there are signs that this is changing, uh, but we uh, but we get the bad news especially, and it is important to see it. Um, yes, but we do think this masculine spring is is, is taking root. Masculine spring or national? What was it? We're calling it we're calling it like a masculine spring in the uh-huh. sense of like the the, the, the Arab, Arab Spring, spring right. parallel of, you know, it it has a better outcome, but it's and then, you know, this was a very. Uh, cold period for men sure. uh you know leading up to now even if you think going back several thousand years we're, oh, we're yeah. supposed to be rigid we're cold toward others and we're isolated and what the what the 21st century is calling for we think is agility warmth and con and connection and it's taking it's it's you know it's got you know de- tender tendrils uh but these little sprouts are coming up and, and you can see it around if, if you look hard and it's a little bit difficult now with us being isolated by COVID. But boy, you know, in the last in the 1920s, that was the Roaring Twenties. We came after a uh, a pandemic. So hopefully, when people can get together, the seeds will sprout even more. It's a little bit yeah. challenging now. I got to tell you, I was I was in doing a little bit of research for the show. I I was looking at the New York Times, and there was an article uh, about one of the people at the January 6th insurrection. The guy's name was mm-hmm. Samuel Fisher. They they wrote. Uh, he, he had, uh, the New York Times wrote, his large online footprint suggests a fierce devotion to hyper-masculine ethos of chauvinism, grievance, and misogyny. He ran men's empowerment seminars. Growing up, Mr. Fisher said he was bullied. 
He always thought that everybody was out to get him, including women. End of his quote. Then there's something else that only recently came to my attention, the incel movement, involuntary mm-hmm. celibacy. They seem to really believe they are entitled. What about these frightened, enraged men? What about that incel? It's a real concern, uh, Bird, for sure. And I, I, I appreciate you sharing that, the New York Times article, which I hadn't seen until you showed me. Um, but it, it is, as you say, uh, it's, a, it's a response to this... Um, you know, the gender, I believe the gender confusion that's underway. It's also a function, as you said, the guy that was highlighted at, at the march was bullied as a kid. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a phrase that that um, that I think resonates with me a lot. Hurt people hurt people, yeah. which is to say those damaged often damage others. And, you know, I think what I described earlier with the, the, the socio emotional learning techniques, the conflict resolution training that the kids are, are going through is is to prevent that wounded, that next wounded kid. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what the answer is with respect to the guys out there right now, except like the, the slow work of trying to reach out to folks uh, mm-hmm. and, and connect with them individually, listen to them. You know, I don't, you know, I, I, I saw one of those caravans you mentioned mm-hmm. for the, the, the trucks with all the, the flags and they're, they're very intimidating. I was in Arizona for my, my late father-in-law's funeral ceremony, actually. Uh, when one of those went by and one of the I saw the the flag you mentioned with, with Trump on the Rambo with the mm-hmm. machine gun. Mm-hmm. But the flag that struck me as the most kind of disturbing and sad was one that said, F your feelings. Yeah. And to me, it's <sighs> sort of like there, there's something fundamentally just dysfunctional about that concept that wow. like we're now saying that that human beings feelings don't matter. That that's sort of what makes us human is the fact that we do have feelings. And 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 you can you can sort of see both this kind of domination thing. Oh, I'm in charge. You do not matter. But it also, I oh. think, it betrays a deep sense of of hurt and fear, as you, as you put it earlier, that they they're not in charge of their lives like as they wish they would be. The folks that are that are saying that and are not in tuned with all the you know the emotional turmoil yeah. uh, that they may be experiencing on the inside. So we got to find a way out of that. And you just help explain. I couldn't figure out. There was a, a, a one of those Trump lawn signs said, uh, elect Trump, make a li- make the liberals cry again. Now I understand mm-hmm. that more because they want to make us feel weak and cry. And that's not okay. And, you know, screw your feelings. Unbelievable. I hadn't gotten that before. I was like, what? What is that about? Uh, if you just tuned mm-hmm. in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about uh, Reinventing Masculinity, a new book, Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. Edward Adams and our guest, Ed Fraun- Fraunheim. And uh, mm-hmm. anthropologists uh, know that the role of men as warriors goes back to forming a tribe for mutual survival. It assumes perpetual scarcity, Still today, there's a belief that there's not enough to go around, that we have to rely on violence. But as your book notes, many anthropologists have recently found that early humans were not particularly aggressive. They certainly grouped together for survival. Uh, why is that? I, I love that part of our book, you know, and I and I give credit to our, our the, the fellow who wrote our foreword, um, uh, who who really kind of put that research uh, on our radar screen. Uh, Paul Gilbert, yes, because uh, I think that that's one of the myths that that we can break and then take heart in the real reality of human history. Mm. Because as you pointed out, 
these early human groups, the, the foragers, hunter-gatherer societies that make up about 95% or more of our human history, because they've been around for tens of thousands of years, maybe more than 100,000 years, as human beings, fully the same as us in terms of gen genetic makeup. They were tended to have a, a masculine expression that was very different from this confined masculinity. It was a much more uh, sociable. It was a peaceful uh, one. It was a, it was, they fit into the societal norms, which tended to be about egalitarianism, mm. um, generosity, uh, a sense of gratitude at, at what was going on, uh, the, what the world was abundant. And a final one, which is very interesting, which is autonomy. And that is to say that people did not believe they could boss each other around. Mm. And and that the rise of, of agriculture and civilization really may have, have kind of changed that, that game where we started seeing ourselves in opposition to nature. We had to feel like we had to fight the earth to yes. get the food we wanted. And it led to sort of uh, accumulation of, of, of material wealth and, 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 and stratification and dominance. But before, for, you know, deep in our human genetic DNA is a sense of uh, egalitarian, of, of sharing, uh, of, of autonomy, where we, we each recognize our, our freedom to do what we will, will and then the sense of that we have abundance around and we just should, should be grateful to the lives we have. So I think there's a lot to be to be hopeful about in that history. Yeah, there is. We can learn a, a lot from, from history and, and certainly many of the... Uh, Indigenous people in what's now America didn't have private property. They, they, it was a tough, tough life, but they stuck together and all worked together. And the, of course, the uh, European settlers came in and said, no, 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 you have to have your own uh, land, your own property, and you know you just can't do this. And that was quite a uh, cultural mm -hmm. battle, and unfortunately, one won for a while. But I, it does. <laughs> the long-term success of that is is dubious, actually. And yeah, yeah. In terms of believing in scarcity, uh, the Charlottesville action. There was the scene of the mm -hmm. white man chanting. Jews yeah. will not replace us. That, of course, assumes the threat of scarcity. In his classic book, Leviathan, Thomas, Thomas Hobbes wrote, no arts, no letters, no society, which is, and which is worst of all, continual fear and danger of violent death in the life of man, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. I wonder if confined masculinity has room for arts and letters and civil society. Your mm. thoughts? It's uh, yeah. If you take it to its conclusion, that that kind of masculinity, I don't think does have much room for it, uh, or it's only one that's going to replicate those its values of of you know domination and violence uh, of um, uh, of of being self made, uh, you know, so self sufficient to this yes. very extreme. But the, the funny thing about um, you know Hobbes's argument was that it was wrong. You know, the, and there's a neat book called uh, Civilized to Death by Christopher Ryan, who really pull, pulls apart that that argument. You know, Hobbes is writing that not from a real sense of historical accuracy, but almost more like a justification for, yeah. you know, a brutal state, you know. And uh, so if you really if you do look at those those the, the vast uh, period that humans have lived, that they weren't having lives. They were nasty, British short. They were tended to be pleasant and long and, and uh, you know, relatively civil if you, if you think about the lack of violence um uh -huh. and you know there's a shorter average lifespan because there was a high child mortality rate but people uh -huh. often live to 70 if they did get past the the early years uh 
but I think that, you know, come bring it back to your question of the arts. Um, I, I'm hopeful that the, you know, the artistic community is, is going to help us and does help us see the limitations uh, of, uh, of what's going on when, if we, if we doubled down on this really nasty version of masculinity, uh, you see, I know my wife is an, is an artist and does really neat work uh, during this pandemic. She's done really interesting work with connecting seniors with uh, artists for that were both of whom are relatively isolated communities yeah. uh, and having kind of creative exchange and to see the ways that people when given a chance can, can create such beautiful acts of, of um, innovation and, yeah. and generosity. Uh, it just, you can't help but be inspired, just like the the poem at the at the inauguration by uh, the young oh, black yes. uh, w- woman. That that kind of inspiration does speak to our souls mm-hmm. as men, I believe, and and not just from women, but from from men as well. You think about Harry Styles, one of the most prominent uh, pop stars right now, who's who's got a very fluid sexuality, and is you know got some of the most creative songs. One of his current top songs is called "Treat People with Kindness." You know, and it, it's a, a beautiful, just kind of pretty earnest song that's very catchy uh, and that maybe we can find a way to treat to, to feel good about ourselves and, and treat people with kindness. It so works better. I, I am. It, it does. does. It does that, that, work better. There's no question. It does work better here in the 21st century. And I got to tell you, I'll never forget a powerful skit from the comic artist Bobcat Goldthwait. He was he was playing a 19 year old white straight male with a gay man held in a headlock. Uh, Goldthwaite's character was punching the gay man. He said, I hate you, I hate you, because because you're queer and because you're a fag and because and because I've kind of attracted you and I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. <laughs> I've, well, had this, that... I've had the sense that men who are drawn to the Proud Boys and other similar groups are terribly insecure about their own masculinity. Mm-hmm. What, what are their mm-hmm. options under pff, confined masculinity? I mean, not many. I, it's it's to do what you said to 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 join a gang to feel more powerful, even if it means you have to subjugate your 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 will. Uh, that you're you know get into these uh, chains of command often, uh, where you're bossed around, uh, but you feel a sense of identity. You know the distinction we make uh, uh, between this liberating masculinity and and the confined one is that there is something powerful about the idea of bonding together that, that the confined men have, but it's a limited circle yeah. of care. Mm-hmm. And, and with this, this emergent one that you see in, in Joe Biden uh, and Harry Styles and, and, and others is that we're going to be connected to everybody. You know, it, it's inclusive, you know, we're, no matter whether you grew up in, in Indonesia or Africa or the United, United States, we know we're all connected because we are on the earth together. Yeah. It's one earth, one environment. Uh, you know, one blood as Bob Marley put it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so that, you know, those limited circles of, of concern and care don't really make sense. Uh, but it is a, you know, that's another sense of that confinedness. It's a focus on separateness at its, at its core that, that really limits, uh, you know, that wider view. Um, and, and I think there are people that come out of some of those groups like, former Ku Klux Klan members or, or, or Proud Boy folks that ultimately see how, uh, you know, stunted and, and kind of almost like a cult they are, yeah. you know? And I think it, it I'm not sure there's, there's a, uh, a silver bullet to that work, but the idea of reaching out and, and just having conversations uh, is, it can be very powerful. We, you know, we started with our method 
for moving from the one masculine to the other, Bert, we talk about these five C's and the first one is curiosity. Mm. Can you be curious about your own life in new ways? Can you be curious about other people? Because men tend not to ask questions. We, we get that driven out of us yeah. <laughs> by the time we're, you know, 12 or 14. It's like, you, you look stupid. You're not the right. smartest guy in the room if you're asking questions, which right. no longer works as you put it. But let's come back to that um, and, and as, a, as a starting point. And then the courage to say, you know what, I can be a better man. I, 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 I want to show up in the world differently than someone who's going to be beating up on policemen, you know, at, at the Capitol. Uh, that's not who I want to be. Uh, and it might mean the courage to sort of, to move away from, uh, from peers who are going to mock you for that. Mm. That's the kind of the insidious thing about this, the patriarchy, the confined masculinity thing is that you are constantly pressured to, to stay in line and it does take courage to move out. But, but the, the benefits are so great of a much richer, fuller life where you can express your full humanity that I think more and more guys are, are realizing that. Boy, I think so. And as you say, there's no silver bullet. And, you know, as we are Americans, we want instant gratification right now. Mm -hmm. Doesn't doesn't work that way. Never work. We got to be patient. We got to be persistent. And history doesn't change that quickly, especially cultural change. It takes a while. It's been going on for a while, but it is it is uh, uh, coming together, I think. And you talk about, you know, obedience militarism, masculinity. You can't have a war without strict obedience. Insubordination or even mutinies are, of course, unthinkable and punished with extreme severity. I have this perhaps odd fixation with the First World War, as listeners know. <laughs> Obedi- okay, okay. Obedience to orders from on high, which proved to be criminally insane. Many yeah, on yeah. the ground could see these orders are stupid and suicidal. I could see that at that time. And in my era, and here I am a bit older, during the war in Vietnam, protests grew exponentially when the big fool said to push on. And, you know, mm-hmm. just to dig deeper into it. And PTSD has happened, I think, I think, because the men who witnessed awful, insane, inhuman things reacted from a moral core. What they mm. saw wasn't right. And, and they, mm-hmm. and they uh, wars are, of course, great for the you know, profits of weapons contractors. Uh, but if going to war was left to Congress as our founders intended, I believe there would be far fewer of them. What I'm getting to is that democracy is incompatible with authoritarianism. The Proud Boys and many mm-hmm. of the Trumpists made war on democracy. How does this allegiance to military structure fit with this confined masculinity? It's a great question. Um, and I think, you know, at the heart of the war piece, I would say is about winning. Uh, there, there's a piece of that that's... Uh, that if you look at Trump's comments over time about how his father drilled in him, you are either a loser or you're a king right. and a killer. Yep. You know, and, and there's that piece of confined masculinity that I, I think we haven't taken seriously enough is this, uh, that Trump takes to its logical conclusion is you cannot lose because then you are nothing uh, under that very limited understanding of, of being a man. Um, so I think that, you know, the conqueror identity, the war piece to me, there's a deep root in the sense that, like, if I if I lose, I I have lost all my self worth, and so that I think to me, I was I was watching the election stuff from afar with a lot of trepidation because I I saw that piece in Trump and that masculinity piece, like, you know, he's he can't abide losing, that that takes a measure of vulnerability, it takes yes. a measure of 
of grace that that he doesn't possess and that, it, that he was encouraging his followers not to have. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, the authoritarianism is in, incompatible, as you say. And then part of that is a sense of like not being able to to uh, concede that you're not always right or you're not always the winner. Uh, and, and to be able to move, to be able to more collaborative besides yes. competitive, uh, you know, to be not always the dominant one, but to, to be a partner and sharing authority. These are these are some of the tools that are that this liberating men are 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 embracing. And what we use that word liberating kind of very consciously because it's a, it's a gerund for, for grammar geeks. It's a process. It's, mm. You're freeing yourself and you're freeing others because you are becoming free. It's not liberated because you're done. It's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. But part of that is to, to free yourself from this, this, this very limited set of tools yeah. uh, for operating in the world. Wow. Yes. And of course the evangelical push for one man, one woman definition of marriage. I can't help but mm. think that that's another example of confined masculinity. What are they afraid of? I mean, since when does one marriage affect any other marriage? I just never seen that. I, I just, mm-hmm. you know, why? Who cares? But I think what, as you say, the new generation. I have a twenty-four-year-old daughter and a twenty-year-old daughter, and to them, mm-hmm. this whole, you know, one man, one woman definition of marriage—it's ridiculous. No, I mean, of course. You know, there's there's no anti-gay mm-hmm. being uh, racist. It's just it's gone. Thank God. Yeah, it seems to be largely gone. And I, I you write that women have had an incredibly bad deal in the last five to 10,000 years as a result of male hierarchies. Tell us about that, please. And why in the last hundred years or so, the women's rights rebellion has picked up so much. What factors have contributed to that movement being now more and more possible and, and continuing to gain strength? Good, great question. I, I don't have all the answers to that, yeah. part, but I, I think a big part of that is the economic shifts. You know, I, I know you've talked about this before on your show, like the the change in our economy such that women entered the workforce and had the power yes. there, the push for, for suffrage. Uh, and, and it is really remarkable how how much change has happened just in, in just uh, over 100 and 150 yeah, years. I was, we've been watching the, the series Bridgerton, uh, which is, I know it's got a lot of fiction, fictional account of earlier British society, but just the lack of, of power that women had in their lives and the ways they had to be creative to try to exercise autonomy mm. and, and some sort of influence is remarkable. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, it's culminated little by little and, and in little bursts like the Me Too movement, where all of a sudden there's like, this is ridiculous. We're not going to be, we're not going to allow ourselves to be sexually assaulted yeah. to, to be to, in order to have a job and earn money, or we're not going to be yeah. slighted in these constant ways. And uh, I think a lot of guys are, you know, they're supportive of that. Oh, sure. And I think they, they want to be allies. They want to be, you know, part of this new world, but it, it's a challenging place. Uh, and uh, to know how do you, how do you marry the older masculinity where you're supposed to just get ahead with one where now you're supposed to help others get ahead, even as you do. That's, I think, uh, one of the big challenges of this moment. And, and I, you know, I think, you know, we're, we're working it out, but, uh, the, the women's, uh, you know, the, you can even call it in, in a broader sense, but I think the rise of feminine energy or, or, yeah. or spirit, uh-huh. uh, which is to say like, we're not going to just be about wounding the earth. We're going to, you know, borrow from the Eastern notions of yin and yang. Yes. There has to be receptivity. There has Absolutely. to be a, an acceptance of nurturing besides the assertiveness and the, and the, you know, the action and the, you know, control stuff. 
uh, the yin and yang, it's just, it's so powerful and it's so simple and it's clearly mm -hmm. true. You know, you look at the structure of a DNA, it's like yin and yang, it just builds up, you know, one mm. from the other. Uh, well, what kind of, uh, for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about an interesting part of democracy, male confinement, confined masculinity. And we're talking with uh, one of the co-authors of Reinventing Masculinity, the Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection, Ed Frauenheim. It's, uh, I think a lot of straight men are wondering, what, what kind of masculine should I be? What kind of, what do women expect of me now? You know, I'm not going to be, you know, the tough guy that I'll fix everything. It, it, but it's an interesting time where you have to be, as you say, curious and the courage mm -hmm. to, to, to let it happen. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, as I get older, uh, the more, the more I learn, the more I find out that there is to learn, the more curious mm -hmm. I become. And it's great. It really mm -hmm. pays off. And yeah, here we have Joe Biden as president. What kind of new masculinity does he represent? And before you answer that, China may be a difficult thing for him. Uh, China, mm -hmm. I, I read recently, is, is puffing up its aggressiveness and crackdowns on dissent. Government officials in China believe that boys are getting more effeminate and want to toughen them up. Boys no longer want to be war heroes. I wonder what options the Biden administration will have with China's focus on aggressive manliness. That is an interesting mm. challenge that he's going to face and just facing aggressive manliness in general. Your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, that's a, those are big, tough questions there. Um, you know, I, I imagine that maybe that it's interesting to hear about the, the, the China push on effeminate men or boys. I hadn't heard about that in particular, uh, Bert. But, it, you know, maybe there's a glimmer of, of good news there that if uh, if 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 um, uh -huh. if uh, their leaders are worried about it, it's a sign that maybe guys yeah. are moving away from the, the old kind of relatively outdated and unhealthy, you know, version of masculinity that they're drawn to being maybe, uh, you know, more caregivers. And and folks that are going to listen to their spouses and and uh, be more connected to each other, um, but I would think for for Biden, there's so much that it is about just being himself. Yes. Uh, you know, I think he he's got a he's a, just a great. Um, he can't help but being this kind of guy. I mean, I, he went overboard in some of his, you know, affections, physical affectionate, being handsy. I think was a term someone oh, used. Right. But but I apologize for that again, right? And if he goes around. Uh, expressing that sense of, of of care and trying to be compassionate to those who have died in COVID or those who have lost loved ones in COVID, who've suffered economically with this, uh, you know, mismanaged, uh, I would say, pandemic under Trump, um, which required more extreme economic shutdown measures. Uh, if he's able to be showing that we have a lot in, we have a lot of a lot shared interests with those people around the world. Uh, that are that are interested in in, in fighting for uh, a, a sustainable climate. I think that yes. that is going to go a long way. Just the way he operates, and to see that it's effective. Um, you know, he's already, um, you know, showing that he's, you know, taking steps to move move forward on on the COVID uh, yes. economic stimulus. Uh, you know, the, that's one of the things that may be a secret to his progress and i hope it is is that he's competent <laughs> he actually knows how no. to operate in this world because it, <laughs> trump was not you know trump was a it was all performative about being a tough powerful man but he actually governed 
relatively poorly in crises, as I as I see it. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, it, he ran up the national debt in, in a time it didn't need it. You know, whereas uh, so I think that that Biden's ability to kind of get stuff done, especially with this this majority he has in Congress at the moment, yeah. will be really important. And then if he can keep speaking out around questions of we need to be mindful of our privilege as white guys, as white people, uh, but also as white guys to like, you know, I think he made very clear, you're not going to bully anybody in my administration and, and get away with it. Uh-huh. You know, he's, he's setting these standards of conduct in his own administration that I think can go a long way to, to, to showing a new, a new path toward a better way of being a man. And in many ways, I think Trump's uh, style of quote leadership was just it's all about me. I'm not doing mm-hmm. anything for anybody. I'm, you know, it's, the government, the American people are here to serve me. That's like the perfect representative, I think, of or a perfect representative of confined masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, definitions of masculinity have been evolving for the last fifty years or so. I wonder, you know, it sometimes it takes something like. Like the Black Lives Matter, like like the killing of of uh, George Floyd. George Floyd. You know mm-hmm. that that was a big big moment in history. It changed a lot, and you had President yeah. Biden say in his inaugural address, "Systemic racism." Mm-hmm. Just saying that. Oh my God, is that powerful? It's wonderful. Might the shock of January sixth, the fact that it was such a big shock, and that we're still reverberating from that, and there's going to be investigations, could that be a sign that we could be at the cusp of change in breaking the rigid and no longer productive confinement of traditional masculinity? I hope so. I think there's a real chance for that, Bert. You know, and I think it's it comes from um, just how ugly the the images were. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you saw this one piece where there is a time where one of the protesters, a man yells at a cop and using an anti-gay slur. Oh. So these are these are law enforcement agents that supposedly the Trump folks respect. And he's using this very demeaning, uh, you know, and homophobic remark. Um, and at the same time, they looked ridiculous to, I think, much of America, you know, wearing the, you know, the oh, Viking cap and the, and the animal skin. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing. You know, there, there's a sort of like uh-huh. a combination of like uh, awfulness and incompetence that I think is going to that I hope will turn a lot of, of, of men and a lot of folks off. Um, and they're also being, you know, arrested. <laughs> Thank goodness we have a professional FBI that Trump did not manage to co- corrupt uh, that is that is pursuing them. And those folks are being held accountable. Also, Bert, this is an important piece. I don't think we, we talk about that much, that much about is that companies these days yes. are not tolerating that behavior. Right. They are they are rejecting those kinds of folks uh, and making it, you know, it, there's a there's a carrot and stick here. Like you can succeed and work more when you show up as a liberating man and you're going to be kicked out of work. If you sh- if you're showing up as a confined man who's willing to like, mm-hmm. you know, be, you know, support an autocracy, really. And, and be an insurrectionist. So that's a separate way that that we're we're seeing uh, that January sixth moment be a, a turning point, I believe. And it does seem that work today really has changed. It's much more of a team sport, you know. That mm-hmm. as another saying goes, when everybody does better, everybody does better. You know, it mm-hmm. just it, it works mm-hmm. works out that way. And it's it's big cultural change. I think is is slower moving than political change, which is pretty darn slow itself. You write that the good news is that men are 
reinventing masculinity. How optimistic do you feel? <laughs> I feel pretty optimistic. Um, I, I'm saying that as I you know look across a number of different sectors. So you look, we've been talking about politics and Joe yes. Biden, yeah. or you look at Jamie Raskin. Uh, and his willingness to be uh, emotionally vulnerable during the the, the impeachment hearings. Uh, you look at some of the Republican male senators or, or governors who have who have, I thought acted very honorably, you know, and and showed a willingness to to see the truth uh, and and to sometimes be vulnerable in their own emotions uh, around COVID. Um, but then if you also look at business, we talk about business and and the new crop of business leaders like Cisco's CEO Chuck Robbins has been studying racial inequality. He's a white guy, a Southern white guy who's, who's uh, read the book White Fragility and initiated a lot of change in Cisco, the, the technology giant. Same is true for Tim Ryan, the head of PwC, the consulting firm. These guys uh, then are matched in the, in the sporting world. We talked about Steph Curry, Steve Kerr, uh, Tom Brady. And then when you look in pop culture, you know, one of the hunkiest stars of our time is a fellow named uh, Justin Baldoni, uh, who just uh, put out a book called um, uh, Man Enough. And it's about yeah. undefining his masculinity. He was in the, the movie Jane or the series Jane the Virgin. And his TED talk about trying to be a man enough has been seen 6.5 million times. Mm. I mean, we are Ted Lasso, the soccer coach, and that's an Apple TV hit. These are all sprouting up, as you put it, to, to give me a lot of hope about a liberating masculinity coming down the pike. I'm always glad to feel that optimism. And I do tend to agree with you. The book is Reinventing Masculinity, subtitled The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. There's a lot to it. It's written by Ed Adams and our guest today, Ed Fraunheim. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, it's always good to uh, finish on a really optimistic note. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bert. Time where it always seems to be just us and them. Girls that walk pink, boys that wore blue, boys that always grew up better never me and you. What's a man now? What's a man mean? Is he rough or is he rugged? Is he cultural it's all change, it's got to change more Cause we think it's getting better But nobody's really sure And so it goes forever again But now and then we wonder who the real men are Whoa. Don't call me a flag 
so good.